Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, and mine to lead me through the night. And uh, so I'm going to take your attention, if you'll allow me, to the book of Mark, to the fifth chapter, to the 21st verse. I'm going to preach to you today on a subject that I've entitled um, Three Lenses. And we'll begin in Mark chapter 5, verse number 21. I believe this is the New King James Version. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus, by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter, or excuse me, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her that she may be healed. And she, I love this, and she will live. That's the kind of faith. Come lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. If you'll touch her, she'll live. And uh, that's the faith of this ruler of the synagogue. But there's something even more intimate than just the position of Jairus. It's, or the position rather of Jairus as a religious leader. It's the position of Jairus as a father. And that is what intrigues me to this story and what intrigues me today for each and every one of us. I want to preach to you just for a moment three lenses. And I'm going to ask that we close our eyes, bow our heads in reverence, and we'll pray. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for this congregation. Thank you for what I feel in your spirit. Thank you for what you have already done, and I believe what you are going to do. I believe that your word is quick and is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even. Places, Lord, that your word can go that nothing else can go. Thoughts, intents. It is a discerner of those things. It is able to get, Lord, down into the spirit of a man spirit of a woman. I pray, Lord, right now that the seed of that word would be planted. Lord, that you would speak to each individual. And I know that the word does not return void. And so each one of us has the potential, Lord, where we are right now to receive this word, how we need to receive it. Individually, as a congregation, we pray in the name of Jesus. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Three lenses in this story, and I feel like these lenses will help us gather uh, some insight once again, a reminder perhaps in a different way who Jesus is and what Jesus is willing to display and show to his people and for his people. And for there was a Bible quizzer. That's just how I grew up. And um, I'm not here to brag, but I'm a national champion. Just throwing that out there. Just wanted that to be dropped just in case there was any suspicion. Amen. I'm going to let that sink in just for a moment. But those, uh, those glory days are over. Um, too old to quiz. And so I uh, had a, a nine-year-old at the time. Um, he is now turning 20. And uh, my nine-year-old wanted to be a Bible quizzer. And we had a couple others 
that were in the church around the same age, and, and we formed a team. And that team, and they, uh, we had to bring the Cincinnati way to Oklahoma, and we did. We brought the Cincinnati way. And um, they went on to, to, to do very well. Um, I throw it in my son's face when I can. He's taller than me, stronger than me, more handsome than me, and uh, was um, quite a bit smarter than me when he turned three or four. And so those, <laughs> those elements as a dad that you have to try to one-up your child, you, you get on that because that's a father's love, right? And so you get on that when you can. And um, I throw it in his face. I just throw it right at him, and um, I tell him, you know, fifth in the nation is great, Preston, but it's not quite first. And, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll tussle around on the floor a little while. And I usually end up breathing heavy, and he go grabs a snack, you know, that's just the way it is. But in Bible quizzing, uh, one of the books that we learned was the book of Mark, and it's the shortest of the Gospels. Um, but there's something enlightening about the way, that, uh, the way that Mark writes his book that is very intriguing to me. It's probably nostalgic in, in a lot of ways, but I love the book of Mark. And I like the way that Mark, John Mark writes. I like John Mark's story, by the way. John Mark is somebody that Paul did not have a lot of respect uh, for at a certain point in his life. And Mark rebounds, if you would. John Mark rebounds. And at the end of Paul's, Paul writes, you know, and, and bring John Mark because he's profitable. John Mark rebounds and writes what would be probably my favorite gospel. It's the shortest gospel. Gets straight to the point. It's written in a different manner, but I like it. I like the way that he portrays this particular story. He gives a lot of time in such a short book to the story of Jairus and his daughter. But in this story is a story. You don't just find 20 verses about Jairus and his little daughter. What you find is a journey that Jesus goes on or begins to go on and when he does, he is interrupted on his way to heal this little girl. He is interrupted. And it's that interruption that I find these three lenses. And I want to bring those lenses to you today. Perspectives, three perspectives that we find in Mark chapter number five. If you'll look between 21 and 43 of Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 5, what we find is highlights. And what we find is the highlights of two fathers and two daughters. That's what we get. From verse 21 all the way to 43, you find two fathers present. We've talked about two already. We've talked about Jairus and his daughter. In fact, I believe it might be critical for us to say because Adjective is really the point behind these 22 verses. The adjective is little. Little. Jarius comes and says, I need you to travel with me because I have a little daughter 
that is sick and at the point of death. And I know that if you come and you lay hands on her, she will not only be healed, but she will live. And it's that term little there that is a critical term for us to understand. And Mark captures that term. In fact, it's not only stated once, it's stated twice. Once by one father and once by another father. The first time, it's Jarius. Jarius says, little daughter. Now, let's bring things into perspective. She's 12 years old. For us, that is a little child. But in that first century, if you would, 12 years old was borderline marrying age. She would be considered more of a young woman than she would a little child, but we're not talking about somebody looking at her for a prospect of a marriage. We're, we're looking through the lenses of Jarius's eyes. And to Jarius, all he can see when I look at my 20-year-old is a little child. I have a 20-year-old, I have a 16-year-old, and a 9-year-old. And no matter how they age or what their intellect are or is, it is always to me that they are my babies. And Jarius calls out to the Lord and says, I need you to touch my little girl. She is sick and at the point of death. I know I've concentrated on it just for a a second here, but I wanted the concept to sink in before we went into the three lenses. I wanted you to see how the chapter is going to wrap itself around this small little adjective, and Jesus pays careful attention to the words of Jarius. He pays careful attention to the feelings that Jarius has. He pays careful attention to the details of Jarius' situation. And I believe that is, in essence, what we are reaching for to be delivered today, is the careful details that Jesus pays to our lives. We're not just numbers in a system. We need to understand that. We need to understand in life, we, uh, we can be attached to number. We can be attached to system, uh, uh, you, you, you know, just wor wordage along the line. But, but, but with, within the kingdom of God, it's very different. The relationship that he desires to have is not me just in the midst of the body or me just in the midst of the bride, but, but the intricate details of my life. Uh, he finds interest in that. It changes the way that I pray when I realize that he's touched by the feelings of why I am praying. He's touched by the feelings of why I would be pushing myself in these perspectives of prayer or study of his word to change and challenge my life so that I can be closer to a father. Jesus pays careful attention to our life. He says, my little daughter lies at the point of death, and Jesus goes on a journey. The Bible declares that immediately Jesus takes flight with Jairus. The crowd is still around him. It hasn't left. He comes over on this side now, comes out of the boat, and immediately he is greeted. And as he's greeted, Jarius makes his way, pushes his way to the front, the conversation, and now we've got movement. And Jarius and Jesus are on a 
journey and I can verbial clock. He understands where his daughter is and he wants this man that he knows can lay his hands upon his daughter and she will live. And so we need to execute a swift arrival at the house. But something takes place on the journey and Mark captures it. Mark captures this, this, uh, this moment where this woman decides that if I am able, if I'm able to, uh, to, to, to get to this one that Jarius got to, if I'm able to get to the same one that Jarius made it to, then I know that my situation as well will be made whole. And Mark describes this woman in a very unique fashion. The Bible says, and Jesus went with him, and much people followed and thronged him. And the Bible declares that a certain woman, I want to bring to you the first lens. I want to bring to you the first concept, the hi highlight, the first perspective here. And it's the perspective of the author. It's the one that is writing the story, careful on the details. And I understand exactly where I'm going today. And I want you to understand exactly where I'm going. The author captures all of these details, but I think you need to understand the idea behind this first lens. The first lens is the fact that Mark is not connected to the emotion of the situation. Mark captures the detail and describes those in perfection. But Mark does not understand the details in the emotional uh, uh, turmoil. Although he describes it, he's not actually able to capture that moment that she had. For he describes her this way. And as he puts on his glasses and begins to tell the story, this is the way that he describes this woman. He mentions the name of the ruler of the synagogue. But story like this. And a certain woman. There's no need for the details of the name. We do not need to capture the name. Down in history as a certain woman. And she's not only a certain woman, Mark describes her. She is a certain woman, a nameless individual that is bringing to Jesus an issue that she has suffered with. We'll describe the number of years. Although the woman's name is not particularly important, let, let, me under, let, let me tell you what you need to understand. She did suffer with this issue for 12 years. So the person is not necessarily, the value needs to be that the situation was grave. Let's not connect to the, to the person, let's connect to the issue. The focus is not on the individual, it's on the issue. Twelve years, and here's the description of the issue. She has suffered, she has suffered many things of many physicians and she has spent all that she had and she was nothing bettered but she grew worse we don't need to focus on the individual we must focus on the issue 
But Jesus looks through a very different lens. He doesn't look through the same lenses as the author looks through. The lens of Jesus is very different than the lens of Mark. To Mark, it's just a certain woman with a certain issue. And let's describe the issue. And I am very thankful that my God is able abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I am very thankful that God is able to raise the dead. He is able to set men free. He is able to heal the blinded eyes. I have seen cancer healed. I have seen ligaments grown back. I have seen miracle signs and wonders with my own very eyes. But Jesus is not just in the healing of body issue. Jesus is in the issue of dealing with the individuals. He does not want us to see him as a distant God somewhere who sits upon the throne like, like Brother Miller just talked about, turning out the valve on whomsoever will. No, Jesus is the one that the Bible declares that he wants to have that intimate relationship in so much that he robed himself in flesh and he died upon a cross and he rose again so that his spirit one day would be able to come back and enter into his creation. The desire that Jesus has is that he can seek and save the relationship that was lost. I find it amazing that in the, in, in the very first uh, separation take place uh, when, 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 when the enemy comes in and begins to, uh, to plant the processes in the minds of Eve and eventually Adam. And the first thing the enemy begins to say is, hath God said? That's chapter 3 of Genesis. What's amazing to me about that interaction is the entirety of chapter 2, it's Lord God. The Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God came, the Lord God. And, and I understand we're dealing with the same person. We're dealing with the same individual. We're dealing with the, it's exactly the same, but the concept that the enemy came with is, is hath God really said that? What he's trying to do is he's trying to separate the relational one from the one that is the created one. He's trying to get mankind separated from, from, the, uh, from the one that came down in the cool of the day. I don't want you to see him as a relational one. I want you to see him as one who has separated himself from you. And he goes on with his plot. He goes on to begin to say that if you eat of that, your mind is going to be open. You're going to be just like God's, and you're going to understand what he's trying to do is plant the seed that this God has held himself back from you. Although he has displayed himself as a personal God, he is a very distant God. Why would God hold back such, such information and knowledge from you? And Eve looks at that and she begins to ponder and she grabs a hold of whatever the fruit was and begins to bite in and gives to her husband and they do the same. The idea that the enemy has is he wants us to believe that God is distant. That God is not personal. That God does not want to reach into our situations. That God does not want to be relational. I understand that I'm, 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 I'm reviewing a lot of concepts here today. But I feel like there's something that this congregation needs individually and as a whole. 
There's some prayers that you've been praying and you feel distant from. You feel like God is, is somewhere beyond and he's not quite heard and he doesn't quite understand and he hasn't quite uh, allowed my feelings to uh, engage with, with him. And now I, I find myself uh, uh, just, just uh, there's a chasm between my, me and, and the one that died for me. And that's the concept of the enemy right now. The lens that he went through is a lens where God sees us as a certain individual that has a certain issue. But when we deal with a woman and we look through her lenses, what she was seeing, she was very different. The Bible says that when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and she touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the Bible says, the fountain of her blood was dried up and felt in her own body that she was healed of that plague. The lenses that she looked through, it was not simply an issue. This was a plague. This wasn't something that was surface. This wasn't something that you can just throw numbers at. You can't just throw 12 years at this thing. You can't just throw, I've suffered many things of many physicians. You can't just say things of that nature, Mark. You've got to understand that there's something that impacted my life, my world. You need to get real with the way that this woman felt. She was an outcast in her own society. Nobody understands what I'm dealing with. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands. I'm telling you, individually, I have felt like that. And as a pastor of a church, I have felt like that. There have been times where I felt like nobody else out there understands exactly what this corporate body is dealing with. There were just certain issues to certain people, and they don't understand what we're... I'm, I'm telling you right now, the enemy has a way of planting some things into the hearts of individuals, uh, and he wants us to, to think that we are just numbers uh, in a system, but to the Lord who looks down and he sees uh, that individual that he came and died for, we are something so much more. And to this woman, oh, you're not just a certain woman with a certain issue. You're, you're, a, you're a woman to me, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. You're a woman to me that I understand that you have suffered. These kinds of men to a place of prayer. We bring them into a place or in places of relationship. We can't open ourselves up about it. Because you wouldn't understand, Tom, what I'm dealing with. You don't understand what I'm going through. They bring elements of shame and insecurity and doubt. And the triggers, Brother Miller, that we talked about yesterday, they, they, they won't change. Uh, we, we can't break the patterns and the cycles because this is the way that we feel. And it starts changing. Our and I'm telling a great church with a great history and a great man of God that pastors every week and pours himself into this body, that if there's anything an enemy wants to do, he wants to change the way that we see the one who is able. 
He wants to change the way that we worship. He wants to affect the way that we walk in the presence of the Lord. He wants us to bring the situation around to focus here. I'm telling you, there is a power in true worship. There is a power in true praise. Spiritual darkness cannot handle an individual, rather, excuse me, that is able to march with confidence and boldness into the presence. What I know is oftentimes affected by what I feel. And my feelings have a way of overriding what I know. And I walk in the presence of God and I know he's a deliverer, but I, I, can't, I can't muster up the courage to, to come to him because I'm broken on the inside because I'm just a certain with a certain And I've come here today to challenge because I know that there are prayers that are, that are hanging that need to be prayed one more time. I know there are patterns that need to be, uh, that, that need to be uh, stepped into so that we can start uh, fulfilling some things that God promised us. Uh, I, I'm telling you, an enemy, he, he tries. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're bad people. What I am saying is that there's an enemy that is going to continually speak. He can wedge himself and, and, and let me think that I'm just a, uh, I'm just a no name, uh, just, just, just a no name nowhere. And, and all I do, I'm just in the corner of, of, the, uh, of the northeast side of Tulsa, and nobody even knows your name, Longstrath. And, and, and God doesn't even understand. No, I'm telling you, if the enemy has a way uh, of manipulating my, my, my understanding of how much he cares and how intimate he desires to be with with us oh when we walk into his presence with a clear understanding of our relationship when i understand that i am a child of the king when I know that my daddy sent me on a mission, when I know that God placed this burden inside of me, when I know that no matter what lies the enemy is trying to whisper, this is my destiny. The lens that this woman had was not just, I have an issue. It's no, I've been dealing with a plague. I'm telling you what happened in this story is amazing. The lens that we need to look at is found in verse number, or begins to be found in verse number 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had got out of him, turned him about in the press, the crowd, and he said these things, who touched my clothes? Somebody, somebody intentionally reached Somebody intentionally touched. Somebody intentionally pressed. Somebody did not believe in the lie. Somebody did not. They weren't intimidated by the crowd side. Somebody pushed their way to an altar and said, I'm not stopping. And to his virtue flows in my body. His disciples are saying, everybody's around you. Everybody's touching you. Why are you saying those things? And he looks around about. He ignores their answer. And he finds a woman who is feeling that something was done in her. Whew. 
somewhere along the line, this woman that had been outcast, this woman that had been told by various physicians over the course of 12 years that it's never going to turn around. The Bible says when she heard, when she heard, she set off on a course and when she pressed through, she touched, and when she touched, virtue flowed, and when it flowed, healing took place, and immediately in her body, she said to herself, it's done. It's done. And Jesus knew it, and she knew it, and their eyes met, and she came. After hearing his desire to know, she came, and she fell at his feet, and the Bible says, told him all the truth. And Mark is writing it into the memories of his mind. He's gathering information because one day he will write a book. He understands exactly what the details of the overall are, but he doesn't understand exactly what Jesus understands. Jesus looks through his lenses, and I love what he says. And he looks at her. The first father we find, the second father we find is Jesus Christ. And the second daughter was a, a nameless woman that Jesus Christ says, Oh no, you're not nameless to me. You're not a wanderer to me. You're not just somebody that has an issue to me. And the mission is the daughter of Jairus. But he stops knowing what is ahead of him, knowing that this little girl is going to pass, knowing it's going to devastate the daddy, knowing that it's going, to, uh, it's going to begin the process of devastating the family, but he stops. He could have kept rolling on. He could have kept going. She had been whole. She had already been healed, and Jesus was on a journey, but he stops, and he says, I need to know who touched me. He knew exactly who it was, and the woman going to be written about in the future, and you've been written about in the past. And to everybody here, you're just a certain woman with a certain issue. But I need you to understand something right now. You, daughter, daughter, you're not nameless to me. You're in the fold. You're not nameless to me. You're in the family. I think somebody needs to understand that Jesus is willing to stop even when I'm telling you he'll reach into a situation just to say, son, I know where you're at. Son, I want you to know I love you. Son, I want you to know I'm there for you. Daughter, I've never yet. You haven't given me enough glory yet. I know the pain is still there, but I want you to realize that I am here. Jesus stops everything just to tell them that, or her rather, that she is his family. Daughter. Daughter. He goes on to say, it's your faith. Wow. Man. What happens when his virtue meets our faith? It made you whole. You've been wanting to be whole for a long time. And so now I want you to go in peace because you haven't been able to walk like that for 12 years. Go in peace. And be whole of thy, his words, of thy plague. 
I know that God immediately healed me of my plague. Jesus does not just deal with an issue. Jesus identifies it for what it truly was. It's not just an issue of blood. It's a plague. The difference between an issue and a plague in its original context is very simple. The issue of blood was that hemorrhaging. It was a bodily issue, and she dealt with that. It broke her away from society without having to merge to the details. The issue was devastating, but a plague in that original language literally means a disease that carries a torturous level of pain. Daughter, I want you to understand something that you are now whole of what you have carried around, a torturous amount of pain. You're whole of that. The necessity for this word is not just that Jesus identifies that he knew what she was dealing with, but rather that I am connected with what you're dealing with. Because the same word plague there, that means a disease that carries with it a torturous level of pain, also means a scourge, a lash of leather with pieces of metal that would be sewn up in them. The term plague literally describes what Jesus would do in just a matter of a few days. When Jesus' hands and feet were tied up and they gathered that cat of nine tails and they began to lay into his body, what he was literally doing at this moment was saying, I am touched by the feelings of your infirmities. What I feel in the Holy Ghost and what I felt again this morning and what I felt during this altar call is some of us feel like there are places where Jesus has no idea of what we're dealing with. And I'm here to tell you that there is no dark place that you have gone that he is not himself familiar with. There is no place of depression. There is no place of isolation. There is no place of affliction. There is no place of loneliness that he himself is not familiar with. And what he's saying here is, you are healed. You got a hold of the promise before I literally allowed it to be played out. Oh, because the book of Isaiah tells us that by his stripes we will be healed. And one of these days, I'm going to allow my body to be plagued with the the grief and the sorrow and the pain and the affliction and the torture that you carry around. I'm going to allow my body to take your affliction. But you 
You drove yourself into a place where you said, I've tried it and I'm going to try it again. I've tried everything else I could, but this time I'm leaning into the promise. The Bible says she touched the very hem of the garment of the Lord. There's significance that I'm not going to go into this morning, but it created a pattern. Read the word, the other God, the Lord. She creates this pattern in the scriptures that they just said, if I can get a hold of it, if I can get a hold of it, if I can get a hold of it. And, 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 and the, the concept here that we need to understand is what the Lord is willing to do for one. He's willing to do for all. Jarius, I want you to understand something. Do not plague or do not, uh, do not hold the master any further because your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the master any further. But Jesus hears the word. It was the woman the first time that heard and came. Now the Lord hears the word and goes. He makes his way in. He casts out who needs to be cast out. Peter, James, John, come in with me. And it is at this very moment that he gives us a declaration that she is not dead. She is simply asleep. She is lying there, breathless, lifeless. And the Bible says to Jairus and to all that were in the room, and they record this moment, Mark writes it down, Talitha Kumai, which is to be interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. The King James Version gives us the term damsel. The term damsel literally means little girl. Jarius, I, I haven't forgotten about your feelings either. Jarius, I haven't forgotten about you. Jarius, I... I may not be a father in flesh, but I am a father in creation. And I know, I understand very well. I wonder if you wouldn't close your eyes right now as the Spirit begins to move in this place. It wasn't just a few years ago that I myself went through a very unique period of time the details of that time were very personal. Sought a lot of counsel of that. And within the counsel that I sought, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 6 was given to me, look into very, very often. It says, because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. There is time and judgment. What this counselor said to me, this pastor said to me, he said, Baron, a lot of times the judgment of God is known before the time is met. A lot of times it's not necessarily just a, an audible promise, but we look into the word of the Lord and we see it there. And we know that his promises are there for his people. They're there for us. So the promise is there. And we cling to that promise. You're going to save my family. I've been praying. 
You're going to save my city. I've been praying. You're going to deliver me from addiction. I've been praying. There's this in my body that I've been, I've been praying. And the promise is there. Sometimes we simply just cling to the fact that he is wonderful. Counselor, that mighty God, that everlasting Father, and that Prince of Peace. And that is the promise that we hold on to. I need your wonder in my life right now. I need the miraculous to happen in my life right now. And the promise is there. It's hanging there. We know that he's able to do it. But the time and therefore, the writer says, the misery is greatly upon him. We may find ourselves feel forgotten you gave me a vision for the city you gave me a vision for my family I'm telling you right now what I felt in the Holy Ghost this morning I feel the same thing in my spirit you are not a Roman numeral somewhere in a book to him you are his sons and his daughter I wonder if you wouldn't begin just to call out to him. Maybe you'd like to make your way to an altar. Maybe you want to feel and hear once again that God is close. He's never stepped out of your situation. That you have a high priest that is touched by the feelings of your afflictions and your weakness. Come on, church. He wants us to see him for who he is. here. I'm prophesying something to somebody right now. He hadn't forgotten about you. Hear the word of the Lord. He hasn't forgot about you. And his words ring true. Come to me. Come to me. Some of you, it's for your marriage. Pray right now. Once again, come press through the crowd. Press through the emotion. Press through all the distracting thoughts until you reach a place where you can literally grab a hold. Come on, I wish some of us would empty ourselves right now. I wish some of us would just begin to say, God, I, I, I've been feeling like so I'm, I'm, I'm all alone. I'm, I'm in a, an isolated position and place. But I know, God, I know I'm not just a certain anything to you. I'm not a certain woman. I'm not just a certain man. Oh, I wonder if we wouldn't gather around some people, begin to lay hands on them as a body ministering if you feel safe to do so. I want, to, I want a right perspective of the one who is able. Oh, I want a right perspective of the one who is able. Come on, let him lay that mantle once again upon you. Let him lay that mantle once again upon you. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. Flows in the Holy Ghost.